Welcome to Functional Observations, a uh, podcast for a dysfunctional time. We are your hosts, Anthony Donald and Donald Anthony. I'm Anthony Donald. I'm Donald Anthony. And we did it. Um, many haters and losers, of which there are many indeed, said we couldn't do it, but we did it. We, we started a podcast. Our first. Our first. Well, your first, mine. My second. I had a short-lived project, but we don't need to talk about that now. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, to begin, this is our, after our first episode, we should talk about, you know, how this came to fruition, how this, how we finally achieved this lifelong dream of ours. And what it's about. And what it's about, yeah. So, obviously, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is out and about, and we have been stuck at our house. Well, we should say we're father and son. We've been stuck at our house um, since mid-March, you know, with another thing to do, essentially. And... Um, Last week, we were having a conversation at lunch about haircuts, um, and we thought, more people need to hear this. And uh, thus, Functional Observations was born. Sound about right? That sounds right to me. All right. Um, and so, now, here we are, a week later, at the same table, ready to start. And uh, don't worry, we will be talking about the haircuts very shortly. Now we got that out of the way, I think we should talk about the name of the podcast, Functional Observations, um, how that came to, fru- I mean, how that came to be. Um, you know, functional observations, it's, you know, it's difficult to define that term um, with mere words, you know. You know a functional observation when you see it. And we hear it. We hear it. We hear it. Um, so throughout the, uh, the podcast, if we happen to make a functional observation, we'll stop and say, you know, that was a functional observation, just so the viewers at home can give to speak with the concept. Or FO for short. Or FO for short, you know, if you're into the whole brevity thing. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why we're here. That's the name of the thing that we're doing. Um, we're broadcasting live from our lovely backyard. In anywhere America. Anywhere America. How would you describe this backyard? Green. Descriptive. Uh, we have bird feeders. I think we have five, last count. By any metric, that's quite a few bird feeders, I would say. It is. We're bored. We're bored. So we've turned to uh, just a variable manse of bird feeders to the backyard. And we've attracted quite a, quite a diverse set of fauna, haven't we? We saw our first tufted titmouse a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Yeah, a proverbial, you know, this tufted titmouse has been a white whale ever since. Yeah, it's still rubbing down the goosebumps. Still rubbing down the goosebumps, still trying to find it. Hopefully it'll come back home. But we had a bit of a mishap with, with the bird feeders recently. What, Big, what storm. Big, Big storm. Big storm. I mean, rented them asunder, cast them down. Knocked them down. Knocked them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, I think there there has been, you know, a certain lack of... um. Of birds since we, when we put them up, I would say a couple of days ago. Right, we reestablished a couple of days ago, and we've seen a couple of three house finches, I think they're called. A dime a dozen, these parts. Dime a dozen, they're like. No uh, tufted titmouse. No, no tufted titmouse reappearance yet, but we're waiting. We see quite a few cardinals, both male and female. Yes, um, yes. And then starlings. Way too many starlings. Way too many starlings. They're, they're these sort of the. Uh, the strong arms, the uh, the heavies of the community. When the starlings show up, everybody else close out. You could have seven or eight finches, you know, happily feeding away, and then the starling show up. It's like, all right, pack it in, let's go home. Gone. Gone. Yeah, yeah. And and the starlings are hogs. Mm-hmm. They're feed hogs. Huh? So where do we go? Where do we go? Well, 
We've exhausted almost all of our material this week, but that'll make an appearance <laughs> again. Rest assured, we will keep you up to date with the various birds we see out and about here, in case you were worrying. Uh, I think you know we talked about this. I think let's start with well, let's replay the I should say let's replay the conversation that you know started the soul, which was the haircut. The haircut. The haircut. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was about my hair. Your hair. Well, I think we should you know. I think like a lot of people during this quarantine, neither of us had a haircut since it began. I mean, I haven't really had a very serious haircut since October 2018 after I buzzed my hair off. And since October when? 2018. Gosh. Going on two years. Going on two years. I know. Wow. And it's grown uh, unfettered since. Uh Um, But you haven't had a haircut since since March at this point. Right. Usually I get uh, what some would call um, sort of the prison cut, mm-hmm. or and as if I'm about to appear before court. Um, and how would you I, describe that to the listeners at home? Well, uh, when I get my hair cut at the hair so butchery, what you, okay, so what oh, oh, yeah, I'll tell you how, how this sort of Paint us a word picture of the hair. I, I will paint you a picture. I, I like my hair short mm-hmm. because it doesn't require much maintenance. But when I that's would a, go... That's a very functional observation. It's, a func- it's an FO. There it's you go. FO, yeah. that's, that's another one. At any rate, I, uh, I go to a local haircut joint. And uh, the first time I went years ago, I said to Mina, my stylist... Are you um, still with Mina or have you I am still... Lines? Well, I haven't been to Mina in well, since uh, March. Assuming that you, you could get a haircut. I'll go back to Mina. Go back to yeah, Mina. Yeah, yeah. You're, Deli- you're loyal. You're loyal. loyal. Delightful lady from Afghanistan. Anyhow, um, the first time I went to see Mina, it's got to be, I don't know, three, four years ago, I told her that I wanted to look like Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the reaction um, to that? She said... You're going to need a plastic surgeon. And honest. Really honest. <laughs> brutal. Be brutal. Be brutal. And so we got past that. And uh, ever since, it's been a very short haircut, low maintenance. How long would that take, usually? Do you get a shampoo when you go? No. No. She oh, sprays my head. Uh, and it's wet. That'd be a mere fascination. A uh, mere, mere. But haircuts last all of about 10 or 12 minutes. So you're efficient. And it costs 30 bucks. Wow. That's, Three dollars a minute. That's a, a, that gives me pause. Gives but anyhow, pause. Uh, lovely lady does a, a nice, efficient, serviceable job. But since the pandemic, I haven't had a haircut since March. Mm-hmm. Starting to show. Starting to show. Starting to show. What do you think? I think it looks good. I think, well, you've had, you have had longer hair in the past, in the days of your youth, no. which are very recent. <laughs> you too kind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, haven't had hair this long since... Uh, Probably the 70s. I know, hard to believe, wow. isn't it? I cut such a youthful figure. I, you do. <laughs> I'm constantly, every morning wake up, it's like, wow. Youthful. Youthful. Yeah. So anyhow, um, so so the hair is looking a little longish. Not quite sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my spouse, the mother of you, mm-hmm. uh, trims the excess from around the ears and mm-hmm. a little bit in the back. Uh, but there's a fullness and a length to it that is new to me. There's a body, one would say. Body. Your hair body. is body there. You know body when it comes to hair. I know body. Yeah. I would, someone would say I have too much body, a suffocating amount of body to my hair. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, Mom compared it to uh, Jeff Lebowski's hair. That's, I mean. In, in the great movie. I mean, no higher compliment could I be paid. That's right, when it comes to hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so lifestyle, for that matter. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. I don't think I want to know. Don't want to know. Don't want to know. No, 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 no. Uh, so I got to figure out what to do with the hair. Uh-huh. The other night we were watching uh, Bottle Rocket. This is correct. 
uh, your suggestion. Mm -hmm. A wonderful movie, Wes Anderson. Tell us something about Wes. Well, I mean, uh, he's a director, as we all know. I think his most recent film is The Paris Dispatch. Okay. Um, no, The French Dispatch, excuse me, which was supposed to come out this summer. I don't know if it did. As we, I mean, many films are being delayed because, you know, uh, it's unsafe to be in a movie theater at right. this present time. Right. Anyway, Bottle Rocket, for those who are unfamiliar, is his first film, I think, made in like 1996. It stars the Wilson brothers, Owen and Luke. Um, and in fact, Owen Wilson co-wrote the script with um, Wes. Mm -hmm. um, and James Cannon is a supporting role. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, I think it's a quite, it's a good film. It, it, it lacks some of that, you know, overwhelmingly distinct stylistic flourishes that Anderson really, really hammers you over the head with in his later films, like you know, the Grand Budapest and Royal Tannenbaums. Mm -hmm. I would say it's almost normal, the way that it's shot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, subdued compared subdued, to the later subdued. work. Um, but I think we have a more acute interest in this film in the in the in the haircut of one uh, Anthony Adams, Correct. Luke Wilson's character. Yes. How would you describe his haircut? Um, stylishly flowing, um, parted down the middle. A butt cut, as we say in the industry. Is that what it's called? It's a butt cut. Yeah. He tucks his hair behind his ears. He does. Which I think suits my ears. I think it does. You have good ears. I have to I, say. You know, I I have my mother's ears. Oh. You have your mother's ears. Okay. I think. Maybe it's a combination. Maybe a combination. Yeah. Good we, ears. Yeah. We, we should have good ears. <laughs> okay. So I like the the Luke Adams slash Anthony Adams look mm -hmm. in Bottle Rocket. I think I could carry it off. Mm -hmm. Others would disagree. What are your thoughts? Well, it's who are the others that disagree first? Well, uh, herself. Herself. Management. Her management. <laughs> And uh, does she have any particular objections to it? Uh, it has something to do with the hairline. Hairline. Receding and then thinning. Yeah, again, you know, very typical for a man, for many men. Yeah. Everybody suffers from this. Of, of my age. Yeah, any age, really. I mean, okay. kind of children have receding hairlines. So do you think the Luke look um, disqualifies my hair shortcomings, if you will? I don't think so, because, well, after you made this comparison to um, Luke Wilson's haircut, I made the other comparison to post-presidency post Lyndon Johnson's hair. Yes. A man who, you know, wore a close-cropped haircut throughout his career, and then once he retired to his ranch in Texas, really just went hog wild with it. He, and he looked, I thought, pretty good. He looked fine, yeah. I mean, you know, for a 70-year-old man who smoked several packs a day and drank Cuddy Sark like it was water, right. fine. And a complete psychotic, a as complete we psychotic, know by reading yeah. Caro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, let's not you know, get to Caro just yet. Yeah, maybe another episode. But yeah, I mean, uh, with all those qualifications, was enough was in fine form at that point. And it, I believe he had a receding hairline. I've only seen photos of him with like a straw hat on, so I don't, I can't speak to uh, the quality of his hairline during that time. Yeah, after listening to this, I'm almost inclined to say that I probably should just shave my head with all of the qualifiers. <laughs> no? I mean, I think that, I mean... What kind of image do you think that would give off to people? Well, you're a reporter, so you do have to talk to people. And if they saw you in a mask with a shaved head, it's like, hello, I'm here to ask you questions about your pottery business. I, I don't think people are... Um, Seinfeld had a, an episode, um, and there was reference to something called an anti-dentite. I don't think there are people that are anti-baldites. So what's an anti-dentite? I... We'd have to confer with Dan and Pat. Well, Dan, um, who are Dan and Pat? Well, uh, relatives, relatives, no last names, probably, probably at this not. point. 
Um, trusted, I, I mean, trusted individuals in matters oh, of Seinfeld. Encyclopedic. Peerless. In their knowledge. Peerless. Peerless. Consumers of Seinfeld. Unequaled. Unequaled. I think an anti-dentite has something to do with, and we'll be corrected, I'm sure, in subsequent episodes, something to do with um, uh, disliking or having a problem with dentists. You know, dentite, I oh, think, so, is the um, operative word. Uh, Tim Watley. Uh, Tim Watley, the dentist. Yeah. Brian Cranston's fame. Okay. Well, Brian Cranston played him in the show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough, obviously, about the episode. I do remember the, the word anti-dentite with, and that resonates, of course. But um, no, I don't think people have a prejudice against bald people. Think, think of the famous bald people. Um, Mussolini. Mussolini. Bald. Well, maybe they might have a problem with Benito. You're right. You're right. What about, uh, who, uh, what's that famous? Picasso was famously bald, bald as well. Bald. Very bald. Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, wonderful actor. Famously bald. Bald. Um, but um, back to my head. Back to your head. Briefly, I and mean, then I think we should probably yeah. shut this down. Now let's, uh, let's go another 20 minutes. Well, the people we, can't get enough. Yeah, I don't know. We, we have other topics of yeah. scintillating interest, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know. I'm still toying with the idea of, of the Luke Wilson... Uh, look in uh, in Bottle Rocket. I think I could pull it off. I agree. I think you should. You know, what better time to? I mean, if you're feeling fun, you're feeling flirty, go for it. Who's yeah. you know? Yeah. I think All it'd be right. a good look. I'm sorry. Go so ahead. I think we'll. I mean, we'll we'll periodically update this haircut odyssey. We will, but not too frequently. Not too frequently. I mean, again, yeah. again, you don't want to overwhelm people with haircuts. No, There's other things no. in this life to discuss, and I think we'll pivot to those right now. Okay. What's up? What, you, what 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 should we talk? I mean, <laughs> what do you think? There's, there's, there's no dearth of topics. I mean, we could talk about basketball. Let's let's talk about the NBA. So the NBA, bring so, us up to speed. What's well, going on? So what's going on? So the NBA halted the season for the. And I mean, let's go back in time a little bit for people who don't know what's been going on. Right. The NBA halted the season um, on March 13th after Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah. And the season was suspended up until late July when it resumed in what has been called the bubble at ESPN World of Sports in the Disney campus. Not to be confused with the bubble boy. Not to be confused with the bubble boy. Right. No, different thing. Different thing entirely. Yeah. Um, And the idea behind the bubble is that you create this environment um, where everybody who has entered it has had a negative COVID test, has quarantined for an X period of time. And then once inside the bubble, uh, social distancing is enforced, mask wearing is enforced, uh, certain people can only enter certain areas. The idea is to um, you know, prevent COVID from entering it, minimize contact between individuals, and then regularly test. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so far, it's been working. I believe, I think the last time people were tested was like in early August, no tests among players or personnel. And um, we've been treated to just some excellent basketball since then. And there were concerns you know, after a four-and-a-half-month layoff that you know, they wouldn't be in... Um, you know, peerless form, but they, uh, the players came back and have given us excellent games so far. So just to, to set the scene yeah. for um, our vast and growing listening audience. Thousands. Schools. Thousands. Yeah, by the minute, probably. The minute. I mean, yeah. I, I have the numbers right here, and they're yeah. just meteoric is yeah. the only adjective that comes to mind. Good, good. Um, we like meteors. We'll talk about meteors probably sometime. At some point, we'll see. Um, at any rate, so set the scene. Uh, teams are... are S- are where Disney World? They're in Disney, so they're, they're at the ESPN in World Florida. of Sports in Florida, Orlando. Yeah, in Orlando. Do they get to go on the rides for free? I, I doubt they get to go on the rides. Not even LeBron. Not even LeBron. Huh. All right. Anyhow. I, I think that'd be a health hazard. Okay. Inter- I interrupted. Go ahead. So, so um, 
They're in Florida. Excellent action all around. Mm-hmm. I'm personally a Boston Celtics fan, and they've been... Ups we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to talk ahead. about that. So ups and downs so far. I mean, but they've really picked... They had just a tremendous win over the second place Toronto Raptors. The Celtics are currently third in the Eastern Conference. Toronto second. Milwaukee Bucks first. Mm-hmm. Uh, a domination mm-hmm. from whistle to whistle. Uh, just controlling the game defensively, offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a poetry emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. Wonderful to watch. So that was great. And then I believe they play today. We're recording this on a Sunday at 5 p.m. against the Orlando Magic, who are leave much to be desired, but they're out there trying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to say that I, I part ways with you. Um, I, I was a big Celtics fan back in the day. Uh, but I have to tell you, I'm pulling for LeBron. Pulling for why the you, Lakers. Why God. are you pulling for LeBron? Oh, I, I, I love the man. You love the man. He's a basketball player, anyhow. He's a basketball player. And so uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with LeBron um, because of who he is. Um, handicap. What 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 are the chances of the Lakers making the playoffs and then going all the way? The Lakers have an excellent chance. So right now they're currently first in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll say LeBron. Do you have any other players on the Lakers? I don't know a single player on any team. <laughs> all right. Good. Okay. <laughs> good. good. So starting from scratch. So well, here. the Lakers. Uh, well, there was a big to do with the Lakers. I'm uh, a fanboy. I'm a, a LeBron fanboy, and then you know the others are just sort of mm-hmm. off the cliff. Many like you. So there's a, <laughs> there, there, there is ouch, <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. There is uh, there's a big to do um, last season. So the 2018, 2019 season, the summer mm-hmm. uh, regarding Anthony Davis. So Anthony Davis, tr- spectacular power forward center um, who originally was drafted and played for several seasons for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Davis was dissatisfied with the way the franchise was going. They hadn't had a lot of playoff success. Um, he had felt that the management had not put a winning team around him. And so in January, February of 2019, um, he demanded a trade. Yeah. And ex- said in no uncertain terms that he would only accept a trade to the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. Uh, so at that point... Um, you know, he New Orleans was really over a barrel. Uh, they didn't trade him, and he mostly sat out for the rest of the season. Okay. Then during the summer, which you know that I mean, within a much bigger frenzy, um, Davis was traded to uh, Los Angeles for I mean the farm. Essentially, I think it was like six or three or four players, as many picks as they could, as the Lakers could give, but they got him. And uh, right now. They're a tremendous duo. And then, you know, they just kind of filled out the rest of the roster with warm bodies around them. I'm feeling good. You're feeling, feeling better. You should feel good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's cut to the chase. Sure. It, it, we're, we're still in the so-called regular season. So these have been called seeding games. So right now they're playing eight seeding games. And um, where are we? How many left? I'd say most teams have played four or five. So three or four left for each team. Okay. Uh, without getting too deeply into the weeds, uh, in your view... Who's in? Who's absolutely out at this point? In terms of like championship contention in the playoffs. Yeah. Get, get into the playoffs. So the East has already been settled. Okay. So we all know we know all eight teams in the playoffs. The West, that's a whole other story. So in the West, um, uh, what the NBA did this season was going into the uh, bubble, there would be a playing game between the eight and nine seeds in the conference if they were within four and a half games of each other. Okay. And so right now in the West, there are I believe six teams that are within two games of each other. 
Okay. For the eight and nine seeds. So it's a bit of a knife fight down at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, between the Memphis Grizzlies, Portland Trailblazers, San Antonio Spurs, Phoenix Suns, New Orleans Pelicans, and the Kings, the Sacramento Kings have kind of fallen off the pace a little bit at this point. So there's been some very exciting games among these teams that are just really fighting to be ritualistically sacrificed at the hands of the Lakers. All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, roll the dice. Who's going to win it all? Still early, but nonetheless. I would say that there are three teams that have a very good chance of winning. Those would be the Los Angeles Lakers and the Clippers. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up on your end. Uh, in the West, and then the Milwaukee Bucks in the East. The teams that have an outside but still a good chance of winning in the West would be the Houston Rockets, and then in the East would be the Celtics. This is cool, but if the Celtics don't make it, mm -hmm. who's your favorite? Who's your not, not not favorite to win, but who would you like to see after the Celtics? I'd like to see the Rockets. Really? Uh, Why? They're just they play this crazy style of basketball where mm -hmm. it's we you know nobody on the court is taller than six seven. We try to take as many threes as we can. Fast pace, lots of ball. It's great. And I mean, I love James Harden, the best player, big fan of Russell Westbrook. They just have very fun, interesting guys. They play a really fun, interesting style of offense. Some people hate them. I love them. And I like to, you know, what I like is they're trying to break the mold. They're trying to do something new and original. I want to, I would like to see that rewarded. Okay, good. Uh, what else do we have on our list? Of uh, well, we just had lunch. We did have we had lunch. A wonderful lunch. Spectacular lunch prepared by you. I do what I can with what I have. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Who said that? I do what I can with what I have. I think it's just like a common saying. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it shows up in the news periodically. And if it comes to this old brain of mine, I will mention it um, later in our cast. So movies, 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 movies. What what have you seen lately? What do you like? I mean, well, we watch. We try. Well, I think we should explain the battings. So we watch, we try to watch a film as a family together. Right, the three of us every night. Yeah, the and nuclear we, family. And we have developed, as opposed to the uh, the thirteen other people live in this house with us. <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes I forget their names. But, um, yeah, so we developed a balloting system to select the film each night, uh -huh. which, I mean, how much detail do I go into that? Yeah, not much. It's yeah. democratic. It's democratic. We'll put it's it a that. point system. Yeah. The, the, the selection with the most number of points wins, essentially. Yeah. yeah. All right, anyway, but um, we just recently watched Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, the 1968 opus by director Sergio Leone, starring Charles Branson, uh, Bronson. Henry, Charles Bronson, excuse me. That's okay. Charles Branson. Bronson. No, Charles Bronson. Yeah. Uh, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, dead and gone. Irrelevant to the conversation. Um, so, Charles Bronson. Yes. Um, Henry Fonda. Yes. In a villainous turn for him. Uh, Claudia Cardinale. Oh, but what about Jason Robards? And Jason Robards as well as Cheyenne. Yeah, big name, big name. And I think we we both thoroughly enjoyed the film. Now you're you're a, a veteran uh, Sergio uh, film guy. Uh, sorry to say, this is the first Sergio movie I've watched. And is it is it early, mid, late Sergio? How does that figure this, into the chronology? It's both a late film for Sergio and for the rest Western as a genre as well. Into, well, in a new iteration, though, because Westerns predated him by decades, yeah, right? Yeah, they did. But um, I mean, this it's I think among scholars. I mean, you know, this is coming from a video I watched on Momo's website about the Western. But 
it is kind of the capstone to the era of Westerns. Okay. Um, because, you know, for, I mean, for cultural reasons, what earlier Westerns from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, the ideas that they were uh, preaching did not uh, resonate with the culture in the 60s and going into the 70s. And so I think what Sergio Leone did, um, amongst other directors, was recalibrate the ideas of the Western to better fit the zeitgeist of the 60s and 70s. Okay. Um, so did he reinvent? Or is that too not strong really reinvent. I mean, you know, it's still, it's still a Western, but he's just kind of recalibrating the moral message, the motivations of the characters for the times. You know? Mm-hmm. You mentioned... And uh, the idea that it wasn't so much um, displays of violence, but sort of the 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 pacing, the build up to I think the these. only the only described as kind of like the the rituals before violence was was interesting, yes. and I think that really really plays out in the, in the cinematography where it's like these extended protracted sequences mm-hmm. of people like preparing themselves to do violence, and then the violence is, you know, a mere matter of seconds. Yeah. It's probably not incidental, but it's, as you say, it's brief. Very brief. It's everything that leads to... Um, Staccato bursts of gunfire to be pedantic. Yeah, there you go. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, I, I did um, get lazy and went to a wiki, and the wiki about Sergio Leone said that he likes to juxtapose the really tight shot where you can see the hair in people's nostrils with uh, the long shot, you know, the the panoramic, big picture, scene-setting shot. And I really appreciated that. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Things of it. Then he also like he'll sometimes will combine that. We'll do like a, a crash zoom, from, like mm-hmm. give this wide shot and then punch in a character's face as we react to something. So we've got a batch of westerns. We yeah. don't need to enumerate them by name, but there are a few Sergio movies. Yeah. What else? Unforgiven, Unforgiven, which is Clint and yeah. Gene Hackman and a cast of other notables. So I think we're we're gonna do some some western binging, maybe. Yeah, I believe so. We'll unless see. you know, we decide it's time to watch from, Monk. <laughs> unless we we did watch Monk last night. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. The Wonderful. masterwork of Tony Salou's oeuvre. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Big Monk fans. Okay. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Is is there anything worth mentioning in the world of music? Um, do we go right to books we've read? What are your thoughts? What are you reading these days? I'm read well. I'm reading Moby Dick right now, Herbert uh-huh. Melville's, you know, key work. Right, right. Uh, when I first read it decades ago, mm-hmm. I'm sure I missed 90% of it, but what sticks with me uh, was the uh, the magnificent humor in the book. Melville had a crazy, uh, wonderful sense of humor, in my view. And so um, um, that's what that that's what I uh, take away from it. Um, and so I'm going to reread it after you're done and we can compare notes. But uh, you're liking it so far? I like it so far. I feel, you know, I think appreciating it on, you know, a couple of different ways. One, um, I can see it as kind of the template for other later American works of fiction in the yeah. sense that it is encyclopedic mm-hmm. in the way that it treats cetology, the way it treats whaling, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can see in like books like Gravity's Room by Thomas Pinchon. Right. Um, it's what, you know, I think what, you know, Melville establishes is that a novel can be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And again, that's borne out in a lot of later American fiction, like even like Philip Roth's American Pastoral, where it's a framing device of an author 
telling a story about a man he's never met. And then mm-hmm. also like incorporating, you know, minutia about the glove making industry. Yeah. Yeah. Interspersed with this really powerful meditation on American culture in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. I've read, and also, you know, again, incredibly funny. Yeah. I, I have uh, three older brothers, mm-hmm. and so uh, they latched on to stuff uh, several years before I did, and so they'd bring books home um, long before I should have been reading them. And um, Catcher was one of the big definitive reading experiences for me. Um, but but I also uh, uh, somehow got a hold of Roth's Port Noise Complaint. And uh, boy, it opened up a world I didn't know existed. Um, big Roth fan for many, many years. And then I stopped. I, I can't quite recall when. I think it was an undergraduate uh, when I sort of shifted gears. But probably time um, to... Uh, to go back and read some some later Roth, um, certainly a fertile well. Yeah, sounds it sounds it. Uh, but you know, so I mean, I've been appreciating Moby Dick in mm-hmm. uh, in that capacity as kind of this cornerstone, this um, um, this kind of jumping off point for later American fiction. It's, it's the great American novel, great I guess. The first one, yeah. But then also, I mean, I enjoy the language of the book. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me a book with tense, complicated Homeric similes talking about <laughs> difficult, mm-hmm. large, moral, uh, godlike issues. Right. It's my weakness, you know. Yeah. I can't resist. Good stuff. Well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a large fan of Milton. So, I mean, and I think, you know, a lot of people, and rightfully so, they're like, I don't want to read that. It's turgid. It's dense. He talks about whales a lot. And, you know, if I mean, I completely understand that sometimes, you know, it's a you know, like we get it. There's yeah. four pieces of whales and lots of pages and too. lots of pages. You know, but like when he does hit on something, uh-huh. it's incredible. You know, it's it's electric. It's yeah. electric. Yeah. And then yeah. like, he, but then he'll incorporate like a Shakespearean scene and soliloquies, and then yeah. immediately switch to like a bog of whales, and then yeah, yeah. Even like Ahab, like what I find interesting about his character is that he has like qualities of Milton Satan, Paradise Lost, and I, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Satan. I mean, when I say. What a fallen angel! Big fan, uh, big fan. Say what a <laughs> what a fallen angel! What a fallen angel! What a mighty good fallen angel! Um, right. But the, the, I think, and you know, I, th- I know Melville's big inf- one of Melville's big influences was Milton, and including Shakespeare. But he has like these qualities of you know being this incredible man, but then also self doubt, self deception, um, waging a war against powers greater than himself, believing right. that he can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've been, I've been interested in that uh, synthetic epic and that character since high school and then okay. later in college. So seeing someone incorporate those ideas into this new character, into this new type of fiction is quite interesting right. to me right. at least. Yeah. Huh. That, I, I'm going to go back to Seinfeld briefly. It's George, a, a natural George, segue. Yeah. It, it's, you know, talking about whales. Why not talk about George Costanza? He faked being a... Marine biologist to, thank get, you. to get a date with a woman. Right. Or actually, Jerry, I guess... Oh, yeah, Jerry, him, said, yeah. Yeah, Jer- Jerry came up with the idea that he was a marine biologist, and so George went along with it, naturally. Um, but did, what, was it a, a dolphin or a whale that George extracted... Uh, a golf ball it from was, a, a spout. It was a marine mammal with a with a blowhole. I think it was a whale. Yeah, we, it was a beach whale. 
We, we need to consult um, the uh, the research staff on that one. I've got to talk to Dan and Pat. Uh, yeah. But uh, as he said in his own words, I reached into the bullhole of the beast to remove the obstruction. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to probably have to rewatch that episode before um, dipping into Moby Dick again. Just, so, to, you know, just prepare yourself yeah, intellectually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what have I been reading lately? I'm, I'm, You've been, I've been slogging I, away through... Uh, Patagonia. In Patagonia by Bruce Chatwin. Yeah. So what's that about? Um, I assume the Andes. Well, it's it's mostly Chilean Patagonia and it's travelogue. And I haven't read it in decades and uh, loved it the first time around. Uh, Very influential book in its day. Uh, Chatwin has since fallen out of favor for a variety of reasons we needn't dwell on. But... I am liking it a lot because of the language, um, but um, I guess it's not the book um, I first experienced, and maybe that's more of a failure on my part. But anyhow, um, good, good book, very well written, learning lots about um, Patagonia, which I'd love to visit someday. Well, we've got a plane overhead uh, from the local airport. Uh, maybe you can hear it. Uh, and there it goes. Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think the next... That, I mean, if I may interject, another sure. functional observation. Functional observation, yeah, plane flying overhead. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, I think when I'm done with In Patagonia, I'll probably read um, a collection of short stories by this marvelous um, California uh, writer uh, named uh, Jim Gavin. And uh, I've read just one or two of his stories that show up in The New Yorker now and then. And I think uh, he probably takes his cue from folks like uh, Dennis Johnson and Barry Hanna. And, so who, and who are Dennis Johnson and Barry Hanna? I assume Dennis Johnson is not famed Celtics shooting guard. No, 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 no. Uh, marvelous short story writer and novelist, but probably uh, most appreciated for his short stories. And uh, he's got a beauty called Jesus, His Son. The title comes from a song by... The Beatles. No, 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 no. Dylan. No, try again. You know this guy. Chris Christopherson. No. Um, Johnny Cash. I'll give you his first name. Okay. Lou, and I'm not talking about Lou oh, Canova. Oh, um, Lou Reed, Velvet Underground fame. Bingo, you got it, yeah. So anyway, great, I, I think he's probably a magnificent short story writer. He is, Dennis Johnson is. Um, and um, so that's, so, so I'm gonna read Gavin, and uh, I've got Airships uh, by Barry Hanna, which I will certainly plow into again. And then, uh, and then probably I don't know what happens after that. Don't know what happens. And who after does? That. Yeah. You, so can't, anyway. you, can't, you know, you can't only plan it far so so far ahead. Yeah, yeah. So how are we, how are we doing on the clock? I think we got some time. We got some time. Got what some do you time. want to talk about? I think it'd be so. Lucanova. Lucanova. Not yeah. Lucanova. Um, Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. He's well, the wrestler, isn't he? He's the wrestler. Well, Lucanova is the um the. The crooner in Broadway, Danny Rose. Well, yeah, the washed-out lounge singer in Broadway, Danny Rose. Yes, that's right. He sings Ajita. Ajita. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, well, Lou Ferrigno, this jar memory, he played the Incredible Hulk on the television program. I, I think, you know... What he, he, did. he did. He did. I think it would be very interesting to see Lou Reed's Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. 
We'd have to dig him up, of yeah, course. Up. He's have to zoom him. dead for how many years? The technology's there. Yeah. I think he's been dead for like, yeah. yeah. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. We'll keep you updated on that. So since you mentioned music, let's talk a little bit about music. Um, what are you listening to? What do you like? Well, we watched, um, well, you watched, I was there while it happened. You watched uh, Cambridge's country music documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've been, um, I've been, I found, well, I mean, I found the, um, the album of the music from the documentary on Spotify. So you've been listening to that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spectacular. Uh, uh, yeah. Mom and I watched it over a period of a, a week or 10 days, something like that. And the mu- the music is fabulous. Of course, the storytelling is, is just addictive. You know, you just, you know, it's nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock and I'm, in my PJs and ready to call it Which quits. Which is a late night for you. Big night. YouTube. It's, it's a big it's, night. It's a big night for me, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And so, uh, you know, I'm nodding and, and snoring uh, in the puffy chair. Um, but uh, y- you get up and you, you go to the TV and you're about to shut down the DVD player and suddenly yet another gem of the story starts to unfold and then you go back to your chair and you sit and you watch and you watch and it's well past your bedtime. So it's that kind of experience. It's really just a, a great, great series. An unqualified recommendation, I have to say. Unqualified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today, uh, this morning, I got up at some ungodly hour uh, at, uh, at the direction of management to make pasta for um, a lasagna That's meal. That's right. Um, Tell us about... Tonight's lasagna You know, meal. we just do, so we, we're, we're an Italian family, offensively so, and um, every weekend we make, you roll, you make a pasta ball, yeah. and then we together, we roll out. Cut it. Cut it. Yeah. Shape it, listen to the Big Night soundtrack. Right. Um, right. And then we make lasagna with it, and we've been experimenting um, with various sauces, just keep it funky, fresh, and interesting. Yeah. So I think last week we did a... a veggie number with a little bechamel we did we did which is nice i i found that the veggie thing was too um chunky too solid for a Mm -hmm. sauce and so we didn't like spread evenly when you cut it but this week we're doing a mushroom lasagna Uh which i feel shows great promise very excited and what varieties of mushroom i think we just got portobello like sliced portobello Portobello. yeah okay keeping it simple i was uh sort of pushing um, for um, a, a crab meat sauce for the lasagna. I'm not so sure that's the way to go Reconsider. ever. I mean, I, I love crab meat and I love pasta, but maybe it's not a, um, a smart combination. What are your thoughts about a crab meat sauce lasagna deal? Well, I mean, in Italian, in Italian cooking, you never see a combination of like seafood and dairy. Oh, really? Very, very rare. Well, wait a minute there, Buster. What about uh, fettuccine Alfredo? Or is that some kind of an American concoction? I'm saying well, like dairy and seafood. Is there seafood? In- oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Mm. I, you probably dump some seafood into that. Yeah, okay. why not? I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing so no dairy, no seafood. It's. I think it's oh, rarely, combined. rarely combined. So I think it would be strange. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, and that's if you're being super traditional. I mean, you know, we could say, well, no. Let's, say let's, it, throw a caution to the wind and just get a little 
would get a little risque, relatively speaking. Get, get a little cream sauce and a little, cream uh, sauce. Get and a little seafood going. Get a little seafood, a little shrimp. You know, that reminds me years and years ago when you were somewhat of a wee lad, um, you, belo- you belonged to some group, uh, I forget, um, and you ended up going to Boston. What was that? Oh, that was a Model UN trip. We went okay. to uh, Jasper White Summer Shack. Yes, yes. And uh, it, Johnny Apple writes lovingly about Jasper White and, and his operation. And someday I'd like to go. Uh, what, what are your um, recollections, your first impressions of, of Jasper White's place? Well, I first, uh, let me start with how I knew Jasper White. Um, Julia Child had a spectacular, I mean, Julia Child with the... The wonderful chef. Right. Who needs to even elaborate? Yeah. Just say Julia Child and yeah. boom, yeah. off you go. Her, her name is her biography. Right. Um, right. She had a very long, for a very long time, had a public access cooking show on PBS and she had Jasper Johns as a guest with the made. Um, Jasper White. Jasper White, not Jasper yeah, Johns. Is Jasper Johns the artist? He's the artist. Yeah. Oh, but Jasper White is an artist too. He's an artist. In yeah. the kitchen. Of a different medium. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, but she, she had him on her program to make... Oven roasted lobster? No, pan fried. Pan fried lobster. Oh. Pan roasted lobster. Pan, yes. yeah, thank you. Thank yes, you. yes, which is his signature dish. What he's known for. His, uh, I'm drooling just thinking about it. His magnum opus, yeah. And we made it one year for New Year's, if we I remember, did. If remember correctly. Yeah. It was delicious. So so I went to the Summer Shack, and in his, in his television appearance, he was rather corpulent. Yes. Uh, but at the restaurant, he was rather slim, so he must have lost weight. Or had some, what's that, stomach operation? Liposuction. Well, so he, he had a tummy well, tuck. No, don't they tie up the, yeah, the just, intestine or something or remove a portion of the stomach? Sure, I don't know. Probably I mean, doesn't fit this discussion, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with all the intricacies of abdominal plastic surgery <laughs> myself. Future episode. Future episode, we could talk about, uh, <laughs> we'd have an exhausting discussion of... Uh, yeah. of yeah. Intestinal <laughs> surgical procedures. Yeah, I assume that's going to bring him in droves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so so you you saw it himself, Jasper, himself. at the restaurant. Got a photo, yeah, clandestine photo, and then I had a lovely meal. Yeah, what did you have? I think I had lobster. Okay. I didn't have the pan fry, pan roasted. I had like something like steamed or something like that. Okay, like a small good. one. Good, good. So is it is it a dump? Is it ordinary? Is it? Can you describe this place? It's like it's or, it's, it's unassuming. Unassuming, yeah. It's yeah. like it's like on a it's like a, on a street. Oh, okay. It isn't to say that that would make sense. Um, it's unassuming. There's tables. Okay. As yeah, I'm, I'm explaining it, describing any restaurant right now. Right, right now. This was in the dead of winter. Dead of winter. Lots of snow. Lots of snow. Paralyzing. Paralyzed. I remember that we were in for the like for the conference for the all conference. We were in this hotel complex, and the yeah. only time we left the hotel complex was because the so you had the hotel, the conference space, and then it was attached to a mall next to it. So you yeah. could whatever. So the only time we left like the complex was to go to this restaurant. Mm-hmm. My uh, only working knowledge of Model UN is based on the Parks and Rec episode. Um, is, is, is it, it is it's exactly that like awful? that? It's exactly. Is it just an awful combative experience? No. Um, how do I describe it? Half the people there are too serious about it, and uh-huh. they're like, "I am actually a delegate in the United Nations." Well, like, this was a Model Congress, but it was part of the Model UN group, so like, yeah. I'm actually. A house a member of the House of Representatives, and the other athlete goes like, "Oh, we got to go to school for two days." So you mm-hmm. have these kind of, yeah, diametrically opposed, <coughs> excuse me, groups, mm-hmm. and uh, 
So that causes some friction. I think it's just some time to have fun. Really. So, so there are folks who take this dead seriously, uh -huh. a, la a la Parks and Rec. And then there are others who say, well, this is a road trip. Yeah, exactly. Let's whoop like, it up. So you have, on the scale of Leslie taking this very seriously, right. to Andy, who wants to be ambassador to the moon. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's a pretty accurate representation <laughs> of the type of people who do this. Yeah. But it's a good time. Good. Good. And how many days in Boston? It's like three. Three days. Have, have you been back to Beantown since? I have not. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, you should do it. Should. You know, when this mess clears up. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. So we should go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you want to do anything else? No, I'm, uh, I'm quite content. Um, we can uh, call it quits and uh, sign off and right. until we meet again. Well, first and hopefully a line of episodes. Um, yeah. I hope keep, you enjoyed it. Keep, keep the cards and letters coming in. Keep the cards and letters coming in. Keep the emails coming in. We will get to them at some point. And we have some exciting projects to announce coming down the line. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, this is Functional Observations. All right. Good stuff.